Hello, and welcome to the Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and where I'm where I am in the world right now is fall now. So I'm wearing a sweater comfortably, thus finally dressing for my body type, which I recently described to people as hipster Dr. Robotnik from Sonic the Hedgehog. I buy that. I buy that. I am. Um, I'm not because I'm inside, and it's 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 actually not too cold here. Weirdly, what's your um, name? I'm Luke. Hi. Oh, okay. Have we met? <laughs> yeah, nice to meet you. All right, let's get into the show. We are talking about uh, a company called Aussie Media, and a lot of different episodes of this show sort of involve us clicking around different links and horrifying ourselves with some sort of weird content marketing rabbit hole. So we're going to do a full episode of that on Aussie Media today, and I'm very excited about it. And we'll explain all this very shortly. But before we get to that, Luke, how is the internet this week? Um, the end over here has been uh, kind of sad and bitter and annoyed. Why is that? Uh, I mean, it's 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 been Labour conference, uh, which means anything that happens ends up subsumed into the Labour Forever Wars, and everyone's mad at each other, and no one can really remember why. But yeah, everyone's super mad. Yeah, that sounds bad. Uh, the Democrats never have that problem. Everyone no. gets along and they love each other. So well, I mean. If if you're the Democrats, do you think it would be a good idea to annually bring everyone from the party in every different faction and all the journalists and all the outriders and a load of organizations that are loosely tied to the Labour Party into one city for five days uh, where everyone then goes out and gets drunk afterwards? See, I was raised Catholic, so that sounds like a perfect system of governance. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a totally great way to run a massive institution. <laughs> Fortunately, fortunately, the conservatives do the same thing uh, next week or the week after. So yeah, everyone just does it, and it's oh, bad. For, it's bad for everyone. That okay? I forgot about this. So Americans might not know about this, but the videos and photos that come out of the Tory conference are like imagine if just like a bunch of like 13th century oligarchs and like haunted Victorian doll children got together in like the grimmest collection of car parks and convention centers. And then, like, all tried to not say a slur together. Yes, that is that is that is <laughs> the, the the conservative version. <laughs> um, I would say the internet in America is unhinged. Uh, in fact, oh, uh, that's a, fun. A garbage day reader in the Discord suggested that for the answer to this week's "How's the Internet This Week?" It's it's unhinged, and I think it's I think it's because in America over here we finally entered the first real days of TikTok as the dominant platform of the internet. So things are just out of control. It's it's a TikTok thing, you think? No, I, I think it's like a it's like a domino effect. So now that TikTok is the main like channel for American culture, everything is getting wackier and weirder in response to that. 
Okay, that's interesting. I like the I like the theory. That's my theory. So, okay, before we get into our big topic this week, I have two things for you. First, for a, a couple hours today, the I can't believe you've done this video was taken down off YouTube for uh, its violent and graphic content policy. Dear God. Oh, that is, uh, that is truly tragic. If you don't know what this video is, uh, I'll play the sound clip because maybe it'll jog your memory. So basically, um, what I was thinking of was, um, oh, fuck, I can't believe you've done this. It was uploaded by Wee 28 or Paul Whedon who follows me on Twitter, and we should get him on the show. We should talk to him about this, because this video is amazing. But uh, how would you describe this video for people who have never seen it? Uh, it is a man, a man, a boy, a teenager, a British teenager, who says something to the camera, uh, at which point he gets hit hard in the face, and then the person says to him indignantly, I can't believe you've done this. Uh, every element of it looks like... 2008 in the UK. I was going to call it Inbetweeners Core. Yeah, almost exactly. <laughs> it's like that. It's like that. Uh, Wombats, Klaxons, Los Campesinos, like, like mid 2000s British dorm room, like, you know, Kate Nash uh, album feel, you know? Yes. It visually, it visually looks like the music they play on Come Dine With Me. It's a visual, it's a visual Kate Nash. Yes, exactly. And then the man gets slapped. The boy gets slapped. And, and then he, he, he has like a very indignant, posh reaction to it. I think that's part of the, the, what's there, you know? Yes. Um, but yeah, maybe we should, he lives, he lives in Bristol. Maybe we should invite him to the live show. Great, Luke. Okay. We're going to do this again. Yes. Some developments on the live show. We are very close to locking in. It looks like you it's can edit, you can edit this bit out. I've no, just we can't. I don't edit these. I don't edit these episodes. I use an algorithm to remove your pauses and tuts, and then and and my ums, and then that's it. And I've done some libel. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, uh, we are getting close to uh, having official dates uh, and details for a live show that will be taking place in the UK. Um, so, okay, uh, the video is back up, uh, thankfully. Uh, it is, it is, it is up. And now I have one other thing for you before we go into our big topic this week. Okay. Have you seen the video for, <laughs> uh, Celtics? Have you seen this? For Celtics? So it's a, it's a like behind the scenes, uh, screen test style video for a show called Celtics by a man named Michael Kingsbury who is basically like a far-right free speech activist who is trying to make an Irish-themed version of the show Vikings, but it's about, like, Irish people, like, standing up to the woke authoritarians of Rome, which is an incredible take there. That is, that is a concept. Yeah, imagine being like, Rome, they're too woke. <laughs> Their senator's a horse. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? They are the biblical depiction of a decadent and extravagant hell. What the fuck are you talking about? Um, but yeah, check that out. Censorship of the totalitarian Roman Empire is already coming upon us. Muzzled. Voiceless. You'll be blown away. These gifts are not ours. We do not make our gifts. Our gifts travels through us. Censor and control our speech 
from one authoritarian point. No more will we be a free people. They are called Romano Britons! I mean, I've already started it, and the fact that he is... Oh my god, these accents are astonishing. You, you gotta make it to the line reading, because the line reading is just killer. It's just unbelievable. Okay, this person is apparently Polish, as far as I can tell. What, who? I, I've got to Aronwen. This, these are... So this is cutting between people, all of whom... Basically, it's cutting between a load of different people who are all doing... All doing this in front of a green screen, checking the script as they go, and speaking in the most bizarre accents I've ever heard. Yeah, it's so good. It's it's unbelievable. I think it's like a really incredible and impressive and psychotic thing that has been allowed to happen. And I'm and obviously it's being completely destroyed by Irish Twitter. Yes. Which if you're not familiar, I would say Irish Twitter and Scottish Twitter, they're different. I would say Irish Twitter mobilizes collectively a bit better than Scottish Twitter. They'll both, like, absolutely own you. But I, I find Scottish Twitter to be more individualistic. Uh, Irish Twitter, I think, yeah, they, they because of the... Uh, Irish internet is just better. Like, Scotland is quite shaky, and, and Ireland is much faster because of the Celtic Tiger. It's, it's a whole thing. No. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> Irish Twitter has... I think Irish Twitter is, is on the top now. A few years ago, Scottish Twitter was much stronger, but Irish Twitter has kind of overtaken it now. Yeah, I think Scottish Twitter is like buzzier. They're like a little more viral, like their tweets go fun, like bigger. But I think Irish Twitter has like a more solid core to it. You know, it's got like, and I think it's a little more, it's a little more local. It's a little smaller. I, I, Irish Twitter is, is arguably less performative. I would, I would, I would agree with that. It's a less performative version of Scottish Twitter, which I think you've gone on record on the show before saying is a little cynical in uh, the way they depict the accents. It is now. It is now. That's right. Okay. I, I don't want to see this movie. I hope it gets funded. Uh, <laughs> I want to see it. I would like them to get just enough money to make this so I can see the whole, the whole vision, the whole, the whole creative idea here. I don't like that it's a series. I would like it to be a movie. Well, it has to be a series because it's the idea of having to watch four of these would be more challenging. I would like to watch twelve-hour-long installments of this, whatever this is. It's not even porn-level production. Like it's, it's like a, uh, what's that thing you guys call like Christmas shows that are made by like weird street people in like bombed out seaside towns what's the word for that a pantomime yeah a panto is that what it is yeah a panto a pantomime <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, how you got there <laughs> it's like that it looks like one of those that's sure yeah okay oh i mean um, that's not that's not filmed oh for, uh for for listeners luke has a cold and he told me that if he laughs too much it'll trigger a horrible cough so that's that's yeah. my new goal with this entire episode <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I to, I, I'm going to be more deadpan than usual in this one. So you ready to talk about Aussie media now that we've got that out of the way? I'm so excited about this. Like, I I usually don't do a huge amount of prep for these. And this one, I was like, I should do a little bit. And I was like, what I'll do is I'll just do a bit of a run through the analytics of their Twitter, their Facebook, of their Instagram, see where we're at. Didn't even get to the end of the Facebook stuff because I just kept finding weird stuff. Okay, let's, so, yeah. let's do this. Let's dive in.
Okay, so before we start, let's set up a few things because I want to have as much fun with this as possible and I don't have to worry about details. So um, our former boss, Ben Smith, <laughs> who used to be the editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed, uh, is now a media reporter at New York Times, and he wrote an absolutely bad shit story this week titled Goldman Sachs, Aussie Media, and a $40 million conference call gone wrong, in which it alleges that a member of Aussie Media, a company that, if you've never heard of it, that's not an accident. It's like a weird, sketchy, like viral marketing, like media operation pretended to be a person from YouTube on a call with investors and may have digitally altered their voice to do so. The company later claimed that that employee was having basically like a psychotic episode and had to take time off because of it. Aside from anything else, can you imagine trying to headline the story, that story? Because it's I mean, so wild. I, no, I, I can't believe they did it. So about a day after, two days after the story went live, a statement from the Aussie Board of Directors was published that reads, following reports of conduct that is not in keeping with our standards or values, Aussie has engaged Paul Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton, and Garrison LLP, a law firm, to conduct a review of the company's business activities. We have also asked Samir Rao, the chief operating officer who is alleged to have done this weird conference call voice altering like YouTube impersonation. To take a leave of absence pending the results of the investigation, we will continue to review the company's leadership in the coming months and are pleased that Harry Hawks, former executive president and chief financial officer of Hearst Television Incorporated, has agreed to serve as interim CFO through this period of transition and review. And then a bunch of people have, like, resigned. Um, there are, like, all sorts of questions about, like, what this company is. Uh, Bloomberg <laughs> published a story uh, saying that it's very likely that uh, if this story of the impersonation is true, that um, a, a huge crime was committed. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it does seem like a crime. It's an absolute crime. So uh, let's let's start with this. When did you first become aware of Aussie.com? So, I mean, there's kind of two answers to that. One is that I knew Aussie Fest existed. Like Aussie Fest has existed for a while and is always like a weird thing that happens. And I'm like, I don't really understand why that exists. And Aussie.com, I, I feel like I did come across them at some point. Like I vaguely remembered it being one of these brands. Because obviously when we spoke about it on the big news web episode, a lot of the stuff that we came up with was kind of, um, here's this weird site that for some reason is doing really well. Right. Now this is the exact opposite of that. Like all of those looked like weird sites that were being run out of someone's basement part time that were for some reason the biggest page on Facebook that week. This, on the other hand, is a very professional looking site that for some reason nothing is happening on. Right. So I remember I had just come back to New York in twenty nineteen and I was still uh talking like a British person kinda. And I was pretty out of the loop on American culture. And I was on the subway and I saw an ad for Aussie Fest uh, 2019, which I guess would have been event. It was eventually canceled due to a heat wave. But I remember just being like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, I was like, how long have I been gone? What is this? And then I remember spending like a couple hours on their website, desperately trying to figure out like who was reading this? What was it? And like, like who, like who any of these, like any, any of it was, I couldn't wrap my head around like what this website was. 
and I couldn't find anyone talking about it. No one I was working with knew who they were. It was it was the weirdest, most surreal thing. Yeah, I mean, that's actually probably a good place to start is the site itself, which has a really specific aesthetic that I feels both very familiar and I've never seen it before. Like, it's it's odd. It looks like, I would describe it as sort of like a weird mishmash of Elite Daily and AJ+. Yeah, it's something like that, and it has the kind of also like a WordPress. It's like a WordPress um, um, th- theme that someone's like overcomplicated, and you like load it onto WordPress blog and go like, "Oh no, this this I see what you've tried to do, do here. This doesn't. This is not. This is not what I'm after." And go on to the next one. Yeah, it looks like a stock website. Yeah, almost. And then what's weird about it though is that usually when you see these sites. Uh, you look at them and you're like, oh, okay, you are producing... The reason you have like a weird stock website is that you are producing a load of stuff that is, you know, <sighs> clickbait, essentially, or sharebait or chumboxbait. And you're like, oh, I see how where I've ended up here. I see what your model is. But the actual stuff they produce is is not bad. I don't. I, I want to say it's good. There's some bits of it that are fine. There's some bits of it that are terrible. There's some bits of it that are, are sort of okay. But they're, they're, it's fine. Yeah. But it's fine. Like, it's it's fine in, like, a suspicious way where, like, all of the people it's interviewing or featuring are, like, people that feel like they've just been picked from trending topics. It The stories are, uh, like, a really, really weird mix of stuff. So, like, they have, like, they have, like, an international news section, which is, like, your typical international news stuff where it's, like, you know, like graphic novels in countries that don't typically publish graphic novels and uh you know like what the vaccines are looking like and and then they have like a politics section that is like v- I, actually the, the best way to describe it is actually how rolling stone described it in 2018 which is a neoliberal nightmare sure it looks like it looks like the website that would have been made by the fictitious news channel from the show the newsroom Yes, actually, you know that's actually not a bad description for it. For it, that is that is this is the website of the 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 crew when they said they'd only do important news would do. Yes, it's this like, is what they come up with. It's like a fake news outlet created by people in a TV show. <laughs> that's what it feels like. Yeah, and it turns out it's not far away from that because, as we've now learned this week, very little of what they say about their audience or output is apparently true well, sorry one just one thing going through the journalists on it is also really interesting and i think that a lot of the people who have worked there or know people who work there have said like they are journalists attempting to produce like journalism like that is there is a core of journalism happening here it's just that there doesn't seem to be kind of an overall strategy to it however when you actually dig through each of them it's really clear that there are not all that many people working there in terms of the actual journalism, you see about, it's probably about five names, I think. Yes. Uh, and then when you go into their Aussie team or Aussie, oh, sorry, no, not Aussie. Team, Aussie, the Aussie tribe. The Aussie tribe, yeah. They have a lot of people listed there. There's a lot of like different people, most of whom are for some reason called the day-to-day team. Right. But then when you go into these people, none of them are reporters. They're all other stuff. I mean, have you also noticed that, like, they're, like, a lot of them are, adver- like, their bios are advertising the fact that they're not American? Have you have you noticed this? So, like, mm. here's one. Uh, it's a white woman named Kate Bartlett. 
And the first line is, this Zimbabwe native is no stranger to foreign lands. And she's the senior editor for Aussie. And then you click on another one, which is uh, uh, Sandaya Kola. And the first line is, hailing from the sunny city of Bangalore, India, Sandaya was in for quite a culture shock and wardrobe revamp when she moved to Boston for college. And it's like, they're, they all of these... All these bios start this way. It's so, it, well, I mean, it, 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 it's definitely got an energy of you know they want to make clear that they are like a world news site or a global news site, but also all of these people have a photo of them in front of a coloured background, but they've all been photoshopped onto the coloured background except yes. the main guy, which is also really fascinating. Yeah, it's it to me to me it looks like they went through websites like BuzzFeed, like Vox, like uh, like Vice. And then they fed them into a like an AI, and then they were and then they made the AI like build their media company. Yes, I I have never one of the people on here. Uh, her title is chief of staff, and I've never seen a media company with a chief of staff before. I mean, have you seen the photo of this guy Stefan Dakota, who is literally fanning dollar bills, and he's the SVP of revenue for Aussie? Yeah, uh, one person on Twitter. Uh, do you remember Keith Hernandez from BuzzFeed? Yeah. Yeah, so he he said on Twitter he'd been approached uh, for that exact job that Stefan Dakota eventually took three times over the past five years. Wow. Uh, so this is the other thing. They do seem to have a weird thing of attempting to recruit and really struggling, which is, makes sense because they're not a real site. Or they are a real site, but not quite. If Ozzy wants to buy us, I will sell <laughs> us to... to I, uh, Ozzy Media, if you are listening... If you... Or lawyers that are working for you are listening to this episode of this podcast. If you want to buy us, please shoot me a message on Twitter. Happy to Alternative, Alternatively, we're willing to buy you for $1. <laughs> yeah. What did your your rabbit hole lead you to? Like, So tell me tell me about your research here into, into the world right. of Aussie.com. So I did a bit on instagram which is interesting as of uh and this is coming from crowd tangle as of july 31st this year they had fifty-five thousand followers uh that has not really changed since the same time last year uh when they had fifty-eight thousand followers so you're basically been shedding like 600 followers a month which is about right for an account that's just not really doing anything that's kind of it was doing stuff but it's sort of right for just an a non-active account. It just sort of sheds accounts as people close down Instagram and all that sort of stuff. It's just, there's a very slow decline on those. That makes sense. However, Aussie right now has 655,000 followers. I was going to say, yeah. Wh- where did where did those 600,000 people come from? Uh, yeah, they all came in the last three months. Suddenly what? there was an enormous jump from August the 14th, sorry, August the 14th, 55,000 followers. September the 11th, 655,000 followers. So they gained 600,000 followers Almost exactly, almost actually, almost exactly six hundred thousand followers uh, in two months. Their most recent post, which is unbelievable, it's just a, it's just a picture of the Earth with like new country borders drawn, and it says, "Hey neighbor, imagine a world beyond borders." And it's, I don't, I don't truly get what it's even about but it it, it has 40- it's, a, it's a reference it's a reference to a post which also is strategically wrong like yeah that's the magazine do, I, do they have a magazine is there a physical magazine or is it just do they just say they have a magazine i don't know okay wait hold on i'm here 
I'm here on their site. Sun, it's called Sunday Magazine, and yeah. I'm I'm on it, and I can't. Uh, I don't. I don't understand. Okay, wait. Okay, I've clicked on it. Wow, that was super confusing. So it takes you to like an interactive cover, which you then have to click on, which then takes you to a a a, a post called "Hey neighbor, imagine a world without borders," and it's it's basically just like a roundup of stories that they've made about borders. But to my original point, that Instagram post, that initial Instagram post only has 46 likes on it for a page that has over half a million followers, quote unquote. Well, this is where it gets incredibly weird because most of the, the page, those uh, pages have 30 likes, 10 likes, 20 likes. But then if you scroll right down, there's a, a, a corporate post they did with Chevrolet, which suddenly has 80,000 likes on. I assume that's paid for. Fine. Like, and in probably in a relatively normal way because, you know, they made a deal with Chevrolet and they had to get X many number of likes on the post and they did that. Fine. Then, immediately before that, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, oh, 10, 11, 12, 12 posts in a row that all have between 1,050 likes yes. and 1,150 likes. Yes. Except for one in the middle, which has 72 likes. What is what is happening here? So, so clearly, what they're doing is they're 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 paying bots or some sort of like content farm, yeah, to to grow their page in in bursts, right? That seems to be what this is. Maybe I don't know that it was. I don't know that it's it's it's. It seems like there must be some sort of paid growth going on here, and there must be some sort of thing where they've given them like whoever they're working with, they've given a half dozen posts to and said, like, here are the good ones. Which, yeah, it's also... So the first of these that suddenly starts getting a 1,000 likes was posted on August 23rd, which is approximately... Yeah, which is exactly as they start to suddenly grow their likes. So there's a batch of posts that suddenly all do a surprisingly high number of likes, and they gain 600,000 followers, and then it's right back down to 10, 20, 30 again. So there is something incredibly fishy about that growth. So one thing that I think is like very fascinating about what Ozzy is doing with regards to celebrities is that like it seems like the majority of the work that they're doing is in acquiring buzzy names. So like <laughs> the Ozzy Fest 2021 lineup, if you go to it, is some huge names. I mean, we have like Dr. Fauci. Well, to be fair... Dr. Fauci would appear on anything. He'd appear on here if we asked him. But then you also... Well, we should, actually. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah. I wonder what he thinks about Sonic Feet memes. Um, <laughs> so, But we also have, like, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, Tig Notaro, Mark uh, Ribelay, who I love, Condoleezza Rice, who I don't love, um, like, Big Frida. It, it's, it's interesting to me that they clearly have money and resources, like... Clearly. Well, they, they, they have an amazing black book. They have an amazing contacts book. They do. And I think that may just be the guy. It's Carlos Watson. Right. So we got to talk, we got to talk about Carlos Watson now. According to Ben Smith's New York Times report from earlier this week, Carlos Watson, he's like the main face of Aussie media or whatever. And he was a, one-time cable news anchor who uh, worked at Goldman Sachs, and he has said that, like, Ozzy is not just, like, a vanity thing for him, but pretty much every piece of the operation is about advertising this thing called the Carlos Watson Show, which is just a... 
it's like a YouTube channel that they're uploading directly to Amazon and claiming that's like an Amazon Prime show. Yeah, there's an awful lot of incredibly dodgy stuff about exactly what they've claimed as well. Um, actually, I've got a piece ahead. A guy went through all of them, and it's 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 really something. Uh, so this is John Mora, who is a contributing writer at Forbes. Uh, they produced it in a, co- a physical copy of their magazine that's op- that opened with the piece on the front that said, the best interviewer on TV, yeah. which comes from a quote from Samir Rao, the guy who did the fake voice on the YouTube thing, saying he was the best interviewer on TV in that magazine. Uh, they ran some paid promotion on the LA Times calling their Carlos Watson show the most important show of 2020, and then used the LA Times quoted it saying, as a quote, the most important show of 2020 in their advertising. Which I think is astonishing. Just put an ad on something, uh, and then you say, or, or he they, he went on to Good Morning America and described his own talk show as the fastest growing talk show in YouTube history, and then put it on on their advertise advert somewhere else as a quote from Good Morning America, fastest growing talk show in YouTube history, and it's like a thing that he said. It's insane. It's insane. It's absolutely and, wild. But what's so interesting to me? Okay, so let's. So I'm on I'm on their YouTube channel now. So this YouTube channel. It's not big by any means. It's like 95,000 subscribers. And from what I can tell, okay, wait, their, their most popular video they've ever done was a year ago. It was actually quite big. So they did Jamal Bowman, is he the next AOC? And then they did another one with Dr. Fauci, which did 2 million views. They did a video about racial justice in education, which did 2 million views. They did another video about racial justice that did one and a half million views. They did a video with Priyanka Chopra, which did half uh, a million and a half views. They, they had some pretty big ones and they're doing millions of views. But then you you can kind of see the channel just like fall off so hard where it's like, okay, now they're doing half a million views. And interestingly enough, these videos, they're, they're, there's nothing in between. So it's like 2 million. Then it like drops and it's like 1 million. Then it drops again and it's like half a million. Now I'm in like the 300,000 range, 200,000. And you, you can, you're watching the channel just like completely fall apart. But if you go to like their most popular video, the Jamal Bowman one, it has 44 comments and 200 likes on 4 million views. That should be impossible. I can know exactly how that happened. Tell me. Now, well, first I'm going to tell you a little bit about their YouTube channel. So between, um, May 2019, and July 2020, uh, every single, so that's uh, almost exactly a year, uh, every single month, they got around 30,000 views, uh, with a couple getting sort of 50,000 or 60,000. I think their top was 200,000 in that period. And every month, it's, it's flat. So it's a basically a, a line of they're not getting many views. Uh-huh. Then, August 2020, 13 million views. <laughs> uh, February 2021, 13 million views. May 2021, 13 million views. Uh, March 2021, 4.3 million views. December 2020, 6.9 million views. So basically, suddenly, they jump overnight into the millions. With the exception, interestingly, of July 2021, uh, where Social Blade tells me that they had minus 1.6 million views. Huh. Which is one of those things where everything I look at, something weird is happening here. Now, our old friend of ours highlighted on Twitter uh, back in May 2021... Exactly how they were doing it. This is from Dorsey Shaw. So Dorsey uh, used to work with Luke and I uh, in digital video. Yeah. Cool how Carlos Watson's junket montage show, Dorsey writes, 
has been transformed into a pre-roll advertisement in order to pump up those numbers so they can call it a number one show or whatever. And Dorsey wrote this back in May. That's awesome. So basically, in some point, they last August, probably, they figured out that if you you can just put entire videos into the pre-roll ad slot, pay what's it what's the cpm on youtube about five pound five dollars six dollars a thousand uh so you get five grand and suddenly you've got videos that do te- doing 10 12 20 million views wow this is fascinating i mean so i would estimate that based on my own experiences with youtube now I- i'm sort of like branching out into that world i would estimate that they probably have less they probably have barely a thousand real human beings following this account yeah, that sounds right. Because like their videos not boosted are doing less views than mine, and I have under a thousand subscribers on YouTube. Like, like, and I'm making mine with my phone in my like in my room. So I, the fact that they claim to have a hundred thousand subscribers or ninety five thousand subscribers or whatever it is, I'm gonna guess that almost all of these are fake. They have to be. Yeah. And yet, what's so crazy is it's like it's like they've they've clearly understood what other media companies are doing by featuring celebrities, which is they're using it to entice brands. So it's like, we're talking to, uh, we're, we're talking to comedian Pete Holmes about white privilege. And it's like, they can take that and then they can take it to like advertisers who are like, Oh yeah, you're part of the whole deal. We'll give you money. It's so interesting. Yeah. My, I mean, my assumption was that they were, Basically, basically, they were making a play for um, IP money. In that they were going to say, "We've got two hundred thousand uh, subscribers. We've got ten million views. Amazon Prime or the Oprah Winfrey Network work with. They've actually have been on, and a couple of other places. Give us some money to make a show." And they were selling their shows, but those shows didn't really exist. Or certainly, those shows existed, and they're, and they're professionally produced. Like one of the weirdest things about this is that the content there is very little of it is bad. Like it's not great he's not hugely viral uh and you know i don't particularly know who this guy is nor do i want to see him interviewing that many people but like there's, there's nothing wrong with it like that's i think that's the weirdest part about this whole thing it's legit real content it just doesn't have anyone watching it if they hadn't so i've had real conversations with digital publishers about like breaking a youtube channel and i truly do believe that like you can do things to your youtube channel that means it will never grow organically and there's like a few publishers that I think have have done this. They like it should be mathematically impossible to be producing this much content on a YouTube channel of this quality with these names and get these kind of views unless you are goosing your numbers, which then the algorithm punishes you for because you can't keep that up. Cuz that's that's what that's what I think is happening is that like when they put their show in the pre-roll and they get a million views, the algorithm sorts them into a new category of user, I believe. That, oh, there's like, they're an ad channel. No, but I think it, it's, it expects that audience all the time now. So when it doesn't, it's, you're, it's sending signals that your channel is no longer popular. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, maybe. Like if you go from 1.4 million views on YouTube to a video that has 200, the algorithm's gonna be like, that, that shouldn't be possible. Like it shouldn't be possible to have that many people watch one video of yours and then that drop off. Like it's just not natural. And I think it would punish your, it, it would have to have anti-spam stuff in there to punish you. It, it, it shouldn't be possible. But I, I think also part of this is so much that the entire brand is about representing it's about representing itself as something that it isn't necessarily. Um, Like it, it wants to be big. It's trying to make out that it's big. Uh, Whether or not that's to get 
stars in, whether or not that's to launch Aussie Fest, whether or not that's to get IP and sell shows. But it's just like, look, we'll represent we're big. We'll say we have big numbers and everything else will sort itself out. And to a extent, it has. Like they have a, they, like they have gets on there that many media organizations would st- struggle to get. Which I think is fascinating, and I don't know if that's purely the power of his own black book, and he can just call everyone, and everyone's like, "That's great," or he's, you know, emailing PRs and saying, "Hey, we have fifty million, yeah, x many subscribers, x many views," and they're like, "Yes, okay, that that part ticks our numbers for this is a worthwhile thing for us to do, so we'll go do it as part of a big media round," which you know is not that uncommon. Yeah, and I want to be clear that like, other than the fraud, or <laughs> other than the alleged fraud that's happening here, um. What Ozzy is doing is not strange, nor is it different than like any other media company working in 2021. Like in many ways, all media companies right now are trying to leverage some kind of digital network effect to build out social platforms, hire journalists to like do whatever their metric is, which is like, you know, make social change or get scoops or however they want to call it. And then they want to use that to build out intellectual property and eventually get into an events business, which is where most media companies make their money. Okay, but I, I, I don't I really agree with that because I think that what Aussie is not doing is the bit in the middle, as in it is not trying to get scoops or produce journalism. It is kind of producing something, but it's producing whatever the hell it wants to produce and assuming that it's good. Like it's not measuring audience interest. It's not saying like we need scoops or we need engagement or we need anything. It is just producing something that no one wants okay so so i agree with you but i think it like i think it thinks like i think its team thinks that's what it's doing so for instance okay i'm on this borders thing you did which is kind of what you would in in like journalism call like a package they've done like a bunch of stories about borders and they've they've put them all together so i'm gonna click on one here this is called robo borders question mark and it's all about automation and borders so i click on it and it takes me to an article called These 5G Highways Might Save You on Your Cross-Europe Holiday, which is a garbage way to write this story. It's an interesting story. It has zero comments, no engagement. Uh, I mean, it, it just exists in the back of this website. It was published in 2020. And it seems like a totally fine, normal article about, like, the future of borders. Like, you would read this in, like, foreign policy. and would be like, okay, this, like, makes sense to me. Or, like, they have one about trafficking marijuana. And it like, it's a totally normal blurb. And so what I guess I just don't understand is like, where is this content going? Like, have you looked into their Facebook at all? Yes. That's, okay. that is a fun one to talk about. Let's do it. So last month, uh, across all of the pages, they had Three and a half thousand Facebook interactions. Uh, Wait, three and uh, a half thousand. Thousand, yes. Wow. Okay. And that is true for basically it's about being between two thousand and four thousand. Uh, up since basically about March. What's that? March twenty twenty. Uh, and there's a couple of months that in there that did like twenty four thousand or something. However, in August, and this is where it gets really weird. In August twenty eighteen. Uh, it did almost 10 million interactions. Ah, I see. Which is strange. Yeah. And around that period of time, it was doing traffic. It was doing organic, highly shared posts. I'm going to drop you one now. Uh, this is from Aussie World, which is one of their other pages. Okay. So 
Lee White will put his life online for elephants, even if it means getting attacked by gorillas. Meet the man trying to save the world's mini elephants. And this has 10,000 shares, 1.4 thousand comments. And this seems, yeah, these are all people absolutely pissed off about elephants. That's totally real to me. This looks legit. Yes. This is 2018. There is a bunch of these. Mainly from Aussie World. There's one, Brits declare war on plastic. There's one, this giant hammock hangs over a cliff and tourists can't get enough. The secret hand behind West Africa's regime changes. The shrine honoring a mother who died breastfeeding. How Water Park without water became one of Vietnam's hottest attractions. Quite travelly at the time. But all of these have done like 200,000 interact engagements, 4,000 shares. Now, what I do think is that the ratio of engagements to shares is quite high. So a lot of these have got, you know, 230,000 uh, likes or reactions, but only 6,000, 6,500 shares. And that, mm. to me, seems out of whack. That's quite unusual. So there is something going weird going on there. This is where it gets really weird. Most of the top engaging posts come from uh, Aussie World. Would you like to check when the last post on Aussie World was? I'm on there now. It has not posted anything since April 2nd, 2020. And it was a page that was around 20 times as engaged as their original page. And they stopped using it. Why? I cannot figure it out. This is where I've got to with this, where I just, I have, and this is why what they're doing is so strange. Because not only is it, there is some fraud going on somewhere, I don't know where exactly, but not only that, their decisions make absolutely no sense. So, I mean, the only thing I can think with, like, April 2020 is, like, was there some kind of, like, COVID thing where they, like, didn't have the staff to run this stuff anymore, or... But, but they're I mean, still what's... posting on the main page, so... But what's also weird about this, though, is that the at that point, the engagement on those that page had also dropped off. This is why it's so strange. Because the the engagement on both pages was pretty decent up until uh, May. It dropped off a cliff going into June, into summer 2019. Okay. And then dropped off a second cliff going into, um, basically, the pandemic. But for a year before that, loads of views loads of engagements and then they just stopped getting anything and then stopped posting on it and i don't understand why i don't understand what changed so i mean is is this a situation where like this carlos watson guy was like not happy that they had a page that wasn't about him that was doing well maybe maybe it was that they were doing well on slightly more virally news slightly more travel stuff and he wasn't a huge fan of that or someone somewhere had a different strategy going towards it but for a while it was working and then suddenly it wasn't working, and now their page is, is dead. So, I, don't, okay. I don't understand. <laughs> so and yeah. I, should also, I should also point out that at the same time, the original page was doing well, just not as well. But it was getting posts that would also do... There's a post on there, actually, which is, I think, another interesting one, which is why I thought the numbers on the other one were so odd. But this one, uh, which is posted, which is called uh, When America Forgot All About Its Black... World War One soldiers is from January 2019, and that's got 100,000 likes uh, and reactions, uh, and then 50,000 shares. Oh man! Okay, I don't think I have the answer, but I have another piece to this that is very interesting to me. Okay, hit me. Okay, so two years ago in 2019, Ozzy's YouTube channel was not the Carlos Watson show. Okay, it was several shows. One of them was called Breaking Big, and they'd have people like Roxanne Gay and Michael Strahan talk about like their early successes. And it was clips from Aussie Fest, and it was videos that were branded Aussie. They just that was what it was called. Then <laughs> uh 
towards uh towards April 2019, they started putting out content that was still branded Aussie, but they were using the term the third rail with Aussie. And these were sort of like panel shows about like social topics. Yeah. The last one of these shows was titled was titled uh third rail with Aussie and it was titled is America becoming more or less racist? Yeah. And it was funded by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. It's a nonprofit radio company. So they had nonprofit money, okay, from the government. And they were doing this show. Then, after that episode, which was the, – these sort of panel shows were hosted by Carlos Watson. The page goes dark for uh, a year. They don't post anything on YouTube for a year. Between April 2019 and March 2020 – they don't do anything. So right around the time their Facebook page drops off as well. Exactly. <laughs> then they start a partnership with Hulu. And that okay. partnership does its first video in March, the end of March 2020. And so they're doing Aussie Hulu clips. And these videos are getting hundreds of views. Nothing. Like, And I will say that for the most part, their videos before the Hulu partnership and before their page went dark – are all fake traffic. It's like two comments and a th and 6,000 views. So I'm going to say it's it's all just completely artificial traffic. They go dark yeah. for a year. They come back. They have Hulu money. They're making a Hulu show of some capacity. They're making Aussie-branded videos, and they try this for a while. They try this up until summer 2020. We, we're going to have to accompany the show with like a timeline. I know. But then, here we go. They've he, here Here it is. July 31st. 2020, the time to talk is now. The Carlos Watson Show official trailer. The page is rebranded as the Carlos Watson Show. So what it looks like to me is something happened around, like in between 2019 and the spring of 2020. They got a bunch of money, a bunch of different like things were going on in the company. They're looking at their strategy. It's still not real. None of this is is working. And then it. To me, it reads like there was some kind of like creative takeover, and it just tr literally transformed into the Carlos Watson show by last summer, so summer 2020. That makes as much sense as a thing. They basically did a late pivot to video. That's what it seems like. It seems like it, it seems like they were struggling. They were not profitable, or they were running out of money, or there was some sort of issue. There was some sort of problem happening, and it's it, to me, it reads like this Carlos Watson guy was like, "I'm taking over because this isn't working." And they shut down the stuff that was working, and they just turned it into, like, a vanity project for him. Which I could – after working in media for many years, I could absolutely see the boss just being like, all right, let's just do with let, – let's do what works, which is me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is fascinating. This is absolutely fascinating, and I'm – I'm also wondering, because part of this I'm looking at is like, okay, where is the money going? Because they are being given money, and it doesn't seem to be going towards journalism. It maybe is going towards ad sales. Um, another like brick in the wall of this uh, is Axios reported uh, in January this year uh, that they brought in 50 million in revenue last year uh, and hit profitability, and said that it's also in a in a kind of um, verification of both this and Ben Smith's reporting, the company has received acquisition offers from at least two major media companies, one of which we now know was BuzzFeed, which yeah. is also 
fascinating. Yeah, that, I, you know, uh, that is a super interesting detail to me. Um, but the most interesting thing from this, though, is that it's it's it describes where its revenue comes from. Uh, it's grown fifty percent year over year for four years in a row. Half the revenue comes from TV and podcasts, and the rest comes from its digital vision via branded content and advertising. So the theory about IP potentially is true. I don't understand where the podcasts come in, nor did I realize they had podcasts. So, but of course they do. Like, okay, is there? Uh, you might know the answer to this because I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. Is there a world where you can spend less money? on artificial traffic and metrics than you make in advertising to bots. Well, I will tell a story of when I did used to work in advertising with all of the names and everything redacted. But we had a client who came to us and said, I need people to buy my widgets, say. Uh, and we were like, okay, we'll find you a very nice targeted audience to buy your widgets. We will only advertise to people who want widgets. Uh, and then all the people coming onto your site will buy the widgets. And he went, no, I want a million hits on my website. And we were like, that's impossible. There aren't a million people who are interested in widgets. And he was like, no, I want a million hits. And we basically eventually looked at him and he had a decent budget. So like, right, what we do is we spend a quarter on people who want the widgets and then three quarters of it on trying to get a million hits. But it was like not that much money. Like it was, it was very, very cheap trying to get traffic. And we went around a bunch of companies. Obviously the more reputable ones were like, hmm, not sure about that. The more reputable ones were not sure about that. The less reputable ones um, were also not sure about that. But then a couple of them came back to us uh, and said, look, we have this product. Uh, we will give, you can pay a very small amount and we will do pop under traffic, as in pop under, uh, pop unders. So what it appears is that the ad appears on your screen, on your screen. It looks as though you have opened the website, but it's just a pop-up ad, essentially. Okay. Uh, that is the technique that, BuzzFeed eventually reported on, Craig Silverman eventually reported on, was using in 2017, which was basically a, I don't want to say it's fraud, because it's technically a version of ad fraud, um, but it's juicing the traffic numbers. You can okay. do that quite cheaply. It is the same way that porn app websites or gambling websites advertise, just firing them in and as much as they can, because they're like, screw it, people click. I see. What I think is also, also, oh, oh, also interesting, mm -hmm. this timeline is starting to line up now. 2016, 2017, they figured out this way to say, we have 30 million people on our website. Uh, Commerce Score says it's a lot less than that, but it's like, it's fine. Trust our numbers. They've got nice shiny pitch decks they're going into advertisers with. In 2017, BuzzFeed then go, actually, we've looked at this, uh, and you're using fake numbers here, or you are using dodgy traffic. They stop that and pivot to a new, very Facebook-friendly model uh, in early 2018. Uh, yeah, exactly. What they're then probably doing is because of based on the high number of engagements but the low number of shares, I think that they are sticking all of that money that they stuck behind um, uh, their, their initial traffic behind their Facebook traffic. So they are putting really, really hard for engagements, which is why the engagements are so much higher than the shares. Oh. That goes until mid to late, the first, the first two quarters of 2019, at which point Carlos Watson is like, this is not working. I'm going to take this over and it's going to be the, the me show. And their numbers then disappear, but they're not really going anywhere then until they figure out the trick in late mid, mid 2020 that they can put the money behind YouTube pre-roll and juice then their YouTube numbers that way in order to bring people into their live shows, their live events, sell their TV shows, which again, according to this access report, they have more than 20 shows in the pipeline, uh, and have deals with, uh, a and E, Hulu, History Channel, 
ONN, PBS, BBC, and YouTube. I mean, dude, T-Mobile sponsors their newsletter. Yeah. I have a bigger audience. T-Mobile, advertise with Garbage Day. I, I, I'm a T-Mobile customer. I, I, <laughs> I would love to, to give you'll, you... You'll, you'll, you'll do it for a free phone contract. I would absolutely do literally anything for a free phone contract. Unlimited <laughs> data to advertise in, the, in your newsletter for perpetuity. That's the thing about T-Mobile, Luke. They're one of the few carriers in America that have unlimited data. See how good his pitching is, T-Mobile. Yeah. See, as long as you don't need them to work near any sort of large body of water or mountain range, T-Mobile's perfect. <laughs> for an ur- yeah. for an urban on the go millennial, I don't mind T-Mobile. <laughs> no, so like, okay, so here's, so I want I want to after everything you've said, I want to go back to a section on the website called the story of Ozzy. Yeah. Here's here's how the website describes how this company was started. Because I think it's it's very telling after everything we've learned today. <laughs> Founded by Samir Rao and Carlos Watson, who hail from Michigan and Florida with a nod to India and Jamaica. Why the fuck do I need to know where these people are from, man? Like, why are they keep telling us <laughs> you're from Michigan? Like, I don't... <laughs> Obsessed with telling where they're from. Okay. Uh, Ozzy's backstory is rooted in family and love. Sure. Why not? Carlos's political science dad had a love of news so profound he raised his young son on a rich diet of current events and history-shaping newsmakers. A love of news. I love history-shaping newsletters because I also talk like a normal person. When Carlos and Samir, former colleagues at Goldman Sachs... A bastion of American journalism. Uh, Former colleagues at Goldman Sachs ran into each other in a Chipotle parking lot. Another, just, I mean, a a modern corollary to the parking lot where Woodward and Bernstein received uh, documents that would eventually lead to the recognition of Richard Nixon. Is that right? Did I do that right? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Uh, Their conversation circled in on a big idea. How could they reimagine the news for a globally minded, discerning, and diverse group that they named the <laughs> the Change Generation? <laughs> nice, 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 nice. People who are edgy and educated, hungry and observant, and tired of being handed the same menu, rehashing yesterday's top stories. And they decided to do that by building a content farm that would pump your YouTube recommendations and pre-roll full of videos of Jamila Jamil. I would rather a content farm. Like, there is something about this that makes me more cynical, where it's like a content farm where they are producing... But this is a content farm, Luke. No, but it's not, because there's no content being farmed. This is the opposite of a content farm. This is them bringing people to their farm, where they have put lots of pictures of vegetables in, and then saying, look at our lovely farm. Will you give us money for these vegetables at some point in the future? Luke, their about page has a picture of the Chipotle that they had this conversation in. Uh... So at least we know that that happened, theoretically. Um, So my... my, Okay, I... My take on this, like my big take on this is kind of, I don't, I don't think there was ever an intent to, okay, I don't want to say that. I want to, okay, I'm going to say that there was probably a real interest in making a media company at the very beginning of this. I think it still is, in fact. Possible, possible. I don't think they're cynical. I don't think they're like cynical about like the social justice topics that they're, they're covering or any of that. No. 
I do think it is extremely probable and believable that two guys from Goldman Sachs, when faced with the very common issues of scale and audience development and all the other problems that journalists have had since the invention of the internet, thought, well, why don't we just throw money at it? And they threw money at it not by the acquiring – they didn't go the Axios route. They didn't like buy really, really good reporters or something. Instead, they just wanted to solve it strictly with money. And I think that's what happened here. I think think you're probably right. There's two data points left over that I think both point towards – one that points towards a very innocent approach to this and one that points to a slightly less innocent approach. The first one uh, is from a guy called Daniel Roberts, who now works in crypto. So, you know, as a trustworthy source, yeah, um, said that he, as you know, there's, there's two people here. One is a, uh, a woman who I actually don't know what she does. She's anonymous, but basically says a recruiter asked to meet, meet, asked me to meet with Carlos Watson about Aussie. The meeting was fine, but nothing he said made any sense. He told me Aussie was the Uber of media. And when I asked him to explain what that meant, given Uber is a one-to-one service, he was genuinely flummoxed. Excellent. It was obvious. He was obvious. It was obvious. He'd been using that line. Uh, for years at pitch meetings and nobody had ever asked him what it actually meant. It felt like Aussie escaped scrutiny in for years because it was in Silicon Valley where almost everything is a grift. Um, yeah. I, I believe that. I, and I believe that that can also not be malicious. I, be, I can believe that just like everyone involved thought that this was all fine. Like that's how I'm sort of viewing this is like there were no people in the room to be like, what are you talking about? Now, the, 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 the next person there is a guy, a guy called Daniel Roberts, now works in crypto, says, uh, I had a very similar experience with Aussie years ago. They reached out about a sports editor role, but none of the people running it could answer any of my questions about strategy or the site's most successful posts beyond repeatedly citing a viral chocolate chip cookies recipe post. I see. I now, see. It's, it's fascinating because that post I have looked up, and it is a genuinely perfect viral post. But that does seem to be the only thing that anyone has ever read from Aussie. Um, but yeah, when, once you have a look at it, you'll be like, yes, I can understand this being the most viral thing ever, which is, yeah, it's basically a, oh, wow. So this is titled the science behind baking the most delicious cookie ever. Yeah. It has just enough words in an unbroken section of the post to be able to get onto Google. It has a Pinterest perfect image of cookies. Which, which I should point out is stolen from Serious Eats. Even better. And it has a bulleted list of tips for cookies. And it's by Ann Miller, who uh, I, I, I'm very curious if she has written for the site recently. Um, she said she's wrote one or basically only one. Yeah. Okay. This is – so I think there's also like a very sad story here, which is that like – there have been moments where Ozzy could have leaned into the stuff that was working. Like they yes. could have said like, oh, we have an incredible Rolodex. We should be an event company. Yeah. We are events and interviews and that's all we do. And 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 it doesn't really even matter if the, if the interviews do well online because we are an events company and that's how we make our money. And we're just going to do bigger and bigger conferences and events. And we're going to take on the, uh, you know, the, 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 I don't know. I don't, it's been so long since a live event. I don't know what a live event company does anymore, but you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. And then they've had a couple like instances where they've done something genuinely viral and they could have been like, Oh, okay. It's weird. But like, maybe we need to be like an, I fucking love science website. 
and we're going to do like fun science content and we'll lean into this cookie post and we'll figure out like what worked and we'll just try it. And then a couple years later, they're like, oh, we're actually having some genuine success with this like Facebook page we're running for like cool world stories about animals and social justice. And they could have leaned into that. And yet at no point did anyone involved with this company do that and instead seem to do the almost the exact opposite and just like not do it. Like they I think, I think essentially what happened is they dumped so much money into everything that they thought might have a chance that they then couldn't tell what was successful and what wasn't, and therefore just did big pivots without really knowing what was working at any time. Anyway, there's there's one more bit I want to talk about, which is the slightly more nefarious thing, which is one of its big claims is that uh, the the site's signature ahead of the curve coverage does it uncover the stuff that it says. So it says an awful lot of stuff about how, for example, it was calling Trevor Noah as the um, uh, uh, next Daily Show host, and it said it discovered Amanda Gorman and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and all this, this stuff. And they were saying, oh, yeah, we had these people like years before they were famous. And Neiman Lab, uh, yeah, Josh, Josh Benson at Neiman Lab dug into it and basically proved that that's just, again, a pretty much flat out lie. For example, um, yeah, they say we were way ahead of profiling Trevor Noah. They, A, didn't really profile Trevor Noah, uh, and they profiled him four days before he got the, the Daily Show gig and four months after he became a contributor to the Daily Show, which is not a great guess. Uh, they also mentioned, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and said we called her a year in advance uh, in fact what happened is they ran a 900 word piece on her uh, a slightly less than a month before she won her primary uh, and she was in you know Mother Jones seven months before that she was in the Wall Street Journal three months before that uh, she was in The Intercept with actual interviews and no one was actually interviewing her they, Ozzy did not interview her everyone else interviewed her so it's very much this kind of very cynical claiming of we were ahead of the curve and they just stray on one. And that makes me think of the something else is there. And it was slightly more nefarious and realistically, it probably sits somewhere in between part of it is not understanding what they were saying. And part of it is just full Silicon Valley sell the sizzle. Wait, you, you left out the most, the, the funniest part about this, which is the, the Trevor Noah headline thing. Oh yeah. 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 Where they, 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 they changed him. It changed his headline from. They claimed that the headline was a year ahead of time. Could he be the next Daily Show Daily Show host? Uh, what they then did was they changed the headline um, from what an African finds funny about America. So that was the original publication of it, uh, which was also apparently a, a summary of his Wikipedia page. Essentially, very very short. Didn't talk to him. None of that stuff. Then he gets picked to. Cha- to, to switch over, they changed the headline to say he's the new John Stewart and then claim that they published that a year earlier, which is remarkable. So do you think there's like, I, I'm just trying, I'm trying so hard to figure out like what they think they're doing. Like yeah. I'm trying to put myself in their shoes and it's like, because uh, for instance, like Tracy Morin, their deputy editor who used to work at Deichwalle in Germany, like and USA Today, she's like a she's like a real person. She, in 2015, like bragged about the the Trevor Noah article and wrote like, "Let Ozzy introduce you to the new John Stewart." So like, is that then sent to Trevor Noah to get him to be part of Ozzy Fest? Like, 
because if you go to the site now, they're not doing, they're not writing like about Malcolm Gladwell's new thing. They're, they're doing like new, they're talking about a fascist coup coming from 8chan today. So I'm really, honestly, this is one of my favorite stories for a while because, uh, it has just, everyone is just emptying their notebooks of all the weird stuff they've gathered and they haven't quite made happen. But Forbes wrote a piece about how Aussie Fest was about to become the next fire festival. Uh, and they quote a previous employee saying that, you know, couldn't sell tickets, wasn't going to happen, all that stuff. Uh, and they would say, quote from the employee, the way they get guests uh, on their TV shows and in their festivals is they'd lie and say they already had commitments from X, Y, and Z. Then they'd say, oh, that person dropped out. Oh, that person can't participate. But they were never there to begin with. Uh, the second thing they were saying was that Aussie would build them as friends of Aussie and that's why they're there. But no, they were paid to show up. So a lot of this was cash, basically. So that's what they're doing. That's they're... that's how they brought a lot of people to Aussie Fest onto their channel. So... <laughs> Uh, our, our viewers can't see this, but I've spent like this entire episode just like rubbing my head because I'm just I'm, <laughs> I'm struggling here. So because I I don't know enough about the difference between fraud and just business to know like where this line is. But like, is it is it safe to say that they're going to investors and they're saying to their investors, okay, we're a digital media company, we do X, Y, and Z, and we uh, have all these big names, and and if you invest in us, we uh, will get X amount of money more at the end of whatever time period, right? Like that's how like a normal investment would work. Yeah, basically. Okay. And those investors think that they're investing in like a fully functional media company. And I guarantee you, they probably wouldn't be interested in funding a live event. That's probably just going to break even if not make nearly as much money as like the scalability of a media company was thought to be able to make in 2017 or something. Sure. Yeah, that okay. makes sense. Then they're taking that money and they are using it to hire a team to make content. And I imagine they're probably not paying them a lot. They're probably paying them like entry level salaries, if that. Although apparently they're spending enough money that they're beginning to try to get big names like the BBC journalist who resigned amid the fallout, uh, Caddy K. Uh, the, one, she, the one caveat to say on that is that the BBC were coming to the end of a extended redundancy thing. Uh, and there were an awful lot of people who jumped. There were an awful lot of people who were pushed. There's people in between. And I don't know if that was related to it, but there were a lot of BBC journalists who left around that time. Okay. Well, either way, this this journalist went over to Ozzy, and now, she, now she's resigning amid all of this. Okay, so they're spending this money, and they're hiring these people, and these people are making these things. They're making videos. They're writing content. They're producing newsletters. They're running Facebook pages, and no one is reading any of this stuff. So they then take the money that they haven't spent yet from this investment and they're putting it into campaigns to increase artificially the amount of traffic and engagement on these products. Then they're going to advertisers and they're saying to these advertisers, look at the engagement and the shares on this stuff. Don't you want to advertise with us? These advertisers say, yeah, sure. Then they take that advertising money and they spend a chunk of it on artificially inflating the content that's running with those ads. Then they go to celebrities. And according to this Forbes article, allegedly you're telling celebrities, oh, this celebrity dropped out, even though they never asked that person in the first place, do you want to come to our thing? And they get better and better at this. And then they get the advertisers involved and then they produce the content around this event, which then goes back under their artificially inflated channels. And so they're basically just like moving fake metrics and investment money around in a circle with the hopes that eventually it becomes like something that people want to watch and engage with. Is that what's happening? Yeah. 
I think so. Yeah, it's the it's almost a it's almost a fake it till you make it, but taken one step further. And like some of this stuff is also like really, I would say borderline unethical. They they claim to have fifty million uniques. Um, that's a really hard number. That's like a a specific thing that it means. Now different analytic analytics companies and different external things will always come up with a different number for that. But there is a specific definition for that. But their claim of fifty million uniques appears to be also based on their Twitter reach. Uh, so as in their social impressions on Twitter. Now, I don't know about you, but I happened to check mine the other day, and I had 3 million Twitter impressions over the last month. Ooh, this is fun. Let me see. Hold on. Which means, which, yeah, I'm sure you'll have more than that. But it would be interesting to see, given how much they're worth, how much our Twitter accounts together are worth. I had 3 million Twitter or tweet impressions, which is down 18%. Guys, if you follow me on Twitter, can you please engage with my content more? I need to get those numbers up so that I can get investment from T-Mobile. To- <laughs> yeah. But with our, with our combined with our combined six million uh, uniques, you know, I think that that should be enough to get like one of Trevor, Trevor Noah or Malcolm Gladwell. Honestly, if you and me are having a like extremely aggressive argument with Malcolm Gladwell on this podcast by the end of the year, we failed. <laughs> wow, I feel like my brain is mush now, and I guess like. What what's the last line on this? Like, what's the what, what, what? I, the last the last line on this is not the last line on this is that there are other media companies that do this or that do elements of this, uh, and we should go through them all and take them all down. Uh, but not us, but someone should. Ben Smith, he can do it. Yeah, and also I will be taking the non fraud elements of this and trying to apply them to my own media ventures because I think this is sick. I my last line on this is this actually. Here's a little anecdote. I'll, I'll end here. I recently uncovered a pocket of TikTok that is very fascinating. It's, from what I can tell, Chinese-run pages on the the non-Chinese side of the app. So they're on TikTok. They're not on Douyin. And these pages, they cre- they take uh, Chinese subtitled video clips from, like, action movies and blockbusters. And they speed them up so the audio can't be detected by, like, copyright software. And then they take those movie clips and then they make a fake looking duet, you know, like a TikTok duet. So it looks like it's a, a yeah. yeah. And they use a avatar of a CGI person to make it look like either a fake FaceTime call or a fake TikTok duet. And then the comments are all full of gibberish from other automated AI generated accounts. And I've spent months trying to find as many of these pages as I can. I'm trying to figure out like what, what is the scam here? What are they doing? And from what I can tell, they're literally just goosing each other's engagement in this like weird artificial network that like no humans are really engaging with. And yet I assume somebody at the at, at the end of this is making an, at least enough money off of it to keep it going. I'm gonna and throw that one... to me is kind of what I think Ozzy's doing. I'm going to throw one more thing in here that she's going to turn the remaining bit of your brain to mush on Aussie's website uh there are no ads i don't know if you noticed that but there aren't any ads however if you look into the code on the website there is tracking code and implementation code for at least five different ad suppliers am i the ad where's the ad where's the ad luke where's the ad are is this is this the ad where's the ad luke where's the ad? <laughs> who's advertising to me and <laughs> See, this is the bit that really sent me over the edge. I was just like, what is this? What is this? <laughs> I 
right. Luke, uh, <laughs> have you consumed any content to stay sane this week? Yeah, I've watched these amazing interviews on YouTube with this guy called Carlos Watson. Um, <laughs> I don't think I have consumed any content to stay sane this week. Um, I must have. Uh, if you haven't, don't worry, because I've consumed uh, basically a month's worth of content that I've missed out on. All right, hit me. Okay. Uh, I watched Squid Game, which is unbelievable. And I would. I'm halfway through the first episode, and, and it's so popular now that I feel I can't finish it because it's just it's too popular. You need to finish it before the the full like everything gets talked about because it, it it's a it's a revelation. It's an inc- I'm I'm actually comfortable saying it's probably one of the best um Netflix shows they've ever they've ever put out. I I think it's unbelievable. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of like uh that genre uh so i'll leave it at that i also watched midnight mass which is uh um, the mike flanagan the guy who did uh haunting of hill house and haunting of bly manor he also grew up uh where i grew up so we have like a very similar sensibility about like small towns and like the inherent sadness of horror and things like that um also very good also, don't look up any spoilers to that because that is also a revelation and it's <laughs> not what you think it's about. And when it reveals itself to be what it's actually about, it's great. It's a great time. I also watched the anime Star Wars anthology, Star Wars Visions. Also fantastic. It's like super good. Like super, super good. It's a lot of good content. It's on Disney+. Plus. Highly recommend it. Uh, I caught up on What We Do in the Shadows. Also very, very good. Uh, I have not seen this week's episode of What If, but I watched all the What Ifs leading up to it. Um, pretty fun. The best episode so far, I think, is the one where Thor throws a party when his mom goes out of town, and it's pretty funny. Um, what other content have I consumed? Uh, oh, second season of the Belgian Netflix show Into the Night. Highly recommend it. Very fun. Extremely addicting. Um, I have not seen Shang Chi yet. <laughs> I I need to. Uh, I've I've had the post credit scene spoiled for me, but I I need to see it. But I, I have not made it to a movie theater, and it has not had a, uh, ended up on Disney Plus yet. But that that's my my content diary for the last uh, two weeks. <laughs> that is good content diary. Well, I went on vacation, so I just missed everything. The only content I can think of that I consumed is the is the North London derby derby between Tottenham and Arsenal, and Tottenham lost, so I don't want to talk about it. It's a you say a derby derby. Yeah, it's where two local teams play each other. It's not when horses race? Yes, but that's a different derby. There's also a town called Derby. Do you pronounce it Derby or Darby? Derby. With an E or an A? Yeah, with an E. You pronounce Derby with an E as Darby with an A. Yes, yeah, the London Derby. It's London Derby. This is a hat called a Derby. No, it's a Derby hat. Okay, if you like this, you should definitely head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash thecontentminds, where this week we'll be doing uh, <laughs> a movie that <laughs> I... Uh, I got a lot of thoughts about. Uh, it was called Spider-Man 3. Uh, so we're going to go over and we're going to record that right now. Um, and yeah, thank you guys for listening. And uh, I want to thank our sponsor, T-Mobile. Uh, it's great. Cell phone carrier as long as you <laughs> don't go into the woods. So yeah, um, I'm pretty confused about whether or not T-Mobile is Sprint or not. I, I haven't really understood that. I think they're the same company now. Anyways, thanks. Uh, for listening. See you guys next week. <laughs> yeah.